Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Namaste, my friends. This is Alec Vishal Rubin here to welcome you to another inspired episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of highlighting Hanuman Yoga presenter and Naropa University teacher, Sri Devi Bringi, who was born into the path of yoga since the day of her birth while living in India. Sri Devi Bringi brings a unique perspective to the table. You can also learn more about the Hanuman Academy from her, a six-week program introduced by the Hanuman Yoga Festival, exploring the five elements of yoga with five master teachers, including Sri Devi. Who am I? Seek into the nature of one's own being and do not settle for any temporary definition of who you are. Enjoy this down-to-earth and this insightful episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Namaste, Yoga Revealed community, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Alec, and I hope you're having a beautiful day today. It is such a pleasure and a true blessing to introduce to you Mother India herself, Sri Devi Bringi. She has spent not only her entire life embraced and engulfed in the tradition and the lineage and the practice of yoga, but has spent many years, decades, sharing this wisdom, Shiva Shakti, the the potency of yoga to so many people across countless institutions. And we're here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. She's on the Hanuman Festival team and has been uh, teaching at Naropa University for quite some time. Yeah, 18 years. 18 years. And thank you so much, Sri, for taking some time to share with us the practice that has just been so clearly poured into you and as you just abundantly share it with all that you meet. Thank you. Well, I'm really thrilled, Alec, and also to know that you also live here in Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I've lived here the last seven years, but I uh, lived in Fort Collins, Colorado for 33 years before that. So really, this has... Um, this has been a, a very beautiful ongoing journey. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, uh, the family I was raised in, in Bangalore and Mysore, was a yogic family. Um, and in the Brahmin traditions of South India, yoga is an integral part of daily living anyhow. So my mother uh, uh, used to tell me that even when I was two and a half or barely able to sit up and, and hold a cross-legged position, I would sit with everybody, all the elders in the family, and close my eyes and do a little jnana mudra a posture with my fingers and do om and keep one eye open to make sure the adults are watching. <laughs> <laughs> so I had um, really no choice. I never thought of yoga as something different from my life. Hmm. It was uh, really an enchanting journey to be a part of. And then to slowly realize that, oh, this is a rather privileged journey. And it's a very disciplined journey. You know, we would have uh, mornings would were dedicated to our morning routines. And then we gather for yoga in the main hall of the house and and my mother and father would lead the way and uh, the rest of us get in line and any visitors family visitors we would have would do the same and when we met in the city of Mysore uh, over the holidays my ancestral home where my grandfather and two granduncles are yogis were yogis and the eldest granduncle, that is my grandfather's eldest brother, uh, was part of the team around the King of Mysore, all through the 1930s to the 60s. And so I was the very last student of sacred Sanskrit with him. And every now and then when he would throw me these gems from Tantric Yoga, you know, let's practice the throat chakra petal mantras today. And here I would be all of 12 and a half or 13 and getting ready to chant them. So there was there's something that's pretty extraordinary about already being a part of it in a very visceral, subconscious way, and yet knowing that my worldview of life is continuously being informed by that. Mm. And um, as I grew into my teens, I, I realized I want more and more of this and that I'm really blessed because my granduncle in the king's palace in Mysore was also part of the, the team uh, and contemporary of uh, Sri Krishnamacharya. And, and so my mother's generation of women would have been the first ones to have received instruction from the male elders of this uh, kind of a more integrative silent yoga that's the original Mysore yoga of we don't you don't teach through word you teach through showing the practice through a gentle guidance uh, uh, the look of an eye you know uh, a gentle adjustment hmm. but uh, yoga was pretty much a practice silently and we would have mantras in between mantras with the asanas mantras at the end of a asana sequence mantras with pranayama uh, mantras on their own, mantras as part of uh, meditative immersions. So I keep rem remembering the resounding you know, sound of mantra all around me as part of my yoga and of course altars, all the deities. I was part of a particular Brahmin tradition called the Smarthas from my father's side who honor the five deities of uh, Shiva, Vishnu, the Divine Mother as Devi, 
Lord Ganesha and then Lord Surya or Agni. So that is the link to the Vedic um, inner fire of yoga. Hmm. I should stop now and see how wow. you want to guide this discussion. <laughs> no, that's so beautiful. <laughs> I think that it's, uh, wow, what a privilege and blessing it is mm-hmm. to have the introduction, the, the birth, mm-hmm. right, yes. Yes. into this lineage that you were born into. Yeah, and the lineage continued and was um, really available to me uh, all the time. Hmm. It's like I, I just feel part of an unbroken tradition. Yeah. There's really that sense of, especially from the, uh, because I was taken into the tutelage of the male elders. Hmm. There is something, uh, you know, though people talk about yoga being, you know, it was, of course, all these were created by male teachers for, for men. There, you know, the tradition of yoga was never seen as something appropriate for women of two generations ago in India to even engage in. Wow. And, and yet the, uh, uh, my male elders of that tradition, you know, grandfather, grand, grand uncles, made provisions to say, oh no, don't, don't practice doing when you have your period. And then here's some Devi mantras for you to chant at other times. Don't do the Gayatri mantra too vigorously. There would just be these, this gentle inclusion that for women, okay, well, you know, we're going to change the uh, Sarvangasana a little bit for you. And uh, so there would be, and then he would say, these other things, nurture your womb, so stay in Viparit Karani for a little longer, uh, you know, in between your periods. So there would just be this knowing that they would bring with such a... Uh, a, a loving consideration of the female psyche and the, and the female body that we never ever thought of it this as oh the men are including us it was mm. never ever for a moment seen that way hmm. this is an interesting question that has never really come up you know each each converse, converse, conversation that we have on the mm-hmm. podcast is always so connected to the individual that sure. is you know speaking to their mm-hmm. experience and in your experience um, do you feel that Men and women have a different psychological approach to how yoga is mm-hmm. uh, navigated? Mm, yes, definitely. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Well, in, in the West, it seems to be very differently and rapidly evolving mm. in ways perhaps that have not even been envisioned in uh, traditional India. Mm. In India, we, we see uh, yoga as still something that is passed on to us by male elders. And uh, the only women I've sat with and, and done yoga are my mother and, uh, and uh, two aunts. And much later, um, when I was in college, then a medical doctor who happens to be the medical director of India's largest uh, yoga ashram and university today, that is mm. near Bangalore, called, called the Swami Vivekananda Yoga Ashram and University. And so Dr. Nagaratna, was a family friend, my um, family doctor, plus my yoga therapist. So she was the first um, non-family member woman yogini I studied with. And that was really for therapy purposes of, okay, let's, let's make sure your, your periods are not so long anymore, or uh, how, to, how to increase your vitality. It was, and, and she would not comment anything on yoga as a family tradition because she was not going to comment on that understood that 
you as a Brahmin girl raised in this tradition. You are here as part of your heritage and your practice, but I'm going to help you in other ways. And it was done with such respect. Hmm. So even today, she is uh, quite an authority on yoga therapy, Ayurveda, as well as having a string of medical degrees and is the, you know, helped to found this amazing institution uh, to help both Indians and Westerners come and learn and receive international yoga teacher training in a pastoral campus, uh, residential campus that's run like an ashram. Wow. So that I see as like a bridge uh, um, for East and West. However, the ways that yoga is taught in such ashrams in India still doesn't uh, take in the Western psyche or to bring in more contemporary perspectives uh, for women. Um, that is, I see more of that coming from the West in huge streams and, and amazing leaps and bounds of growing awareness. So I'm still learning what are the ways that yoga is being adapted in the West and it is, that is part of our curriculum as well at Naropa University where I'm professor of yoga studies and it's an expanding program. And the director of our program, my uh, colleague uh, Nataraja Kaliyo, uh, who was born into a wonderful spiritual American family in California and was one of my students at Naropa and wow. um, has embraced this growing vision of adapting yoga to the West, keeping intact the sacred essence of the origins, the history, the tradition, the masters, and the uh, basis of tantric yoga that both he and he, he and I have such reverence for the mm. Shiva Shakti tradition. In in the transmission of the the, the sacred reverence, I mm. love that mm. of of this lineage that mm. you know it's it's giving thanks to the teachers mm-hmm. and the teachers' teachers being yes. poured all this yoga into students where you were in the seat of student for many years and now you're mm-hmm. in the space of teacher but continuing to also, be also I was about to say always you know I always. see it in you and yeah. all the the wisdom keepers you know that's what the common thread is is this uh, uh, recognition of studentship and not letting that become uh, the, the it's always prime it's always the foundation you know oh, absolutely. seeking absolutely it's seeking so you know for you as a teacher in the space of teacher mm-hmm. what is it that you're hoping to transmit to your students at Naropa who are sitting in lecture hall mm-hmm. yeah they're in lecture hall or they're in practice uh, I don't get involved with the uh, hatha yoga component of our program uh, that is uh, very clearly Nataraja's domain. And uh, so they, they go through, the students go through uh, five levels uh, called Yoga 1 through 5 with him uh, or other teachers that he has uh, for the Yoga 1 through 3. And the students come to me for um, the theory course of Yoga History, Theory, and Philosophy. They also come to me for a practice course that's called Yoga Meditation. And they come to me for a... Um, a Sanskrit course that I've, I've designed especially for the yoga program that's that's called a Sanskrit in Sacred Traditions of India, a very organic uh, Shiva Shakti tantric approach to Sanskrit itself. And why is it that the sounds of Sanskrit have been considered sacred in the yoga and Hindu traditions? Mm. Yoga being one of the six Hindu darshanas, one can never separate yoga from the Hindu roots. 
Mm. Um, so we'll have to say yoga slash Hindu roots. And then they also come to me uh, for two other courses on Hinduism. One that journeys uh, from the Vedas uh, through Vedanta and a little bit of a bridge to Tantra and yoga in the West. Then another course called, oh, so this, this, this course was called Contemplative Hinduism. So I'll be teaching that this fall. Mm. That is the 18th year for this course. And this is what Naropa originally um, hired me for uh, while I still lived in Fort Collins. And the, it alternates with another course that I was guided to uh, design and offer through my uh, spiritual mother saint, Satguru, Amma, uh, or the Hugging Saint. Uh, and so that course is called Hindu Tantra Yoga. And half of the course is dedicated to the goddess traditions of India and the other other half to Kashmir Shaivism, um, which is the, the most inclusive and most recent uh, tradition of Tantric Yoga that also brings in beautiful contemplative practices and is a growing field in America today. Mm. So our, our, our yoga students over a thousand years, sorry, <laughs> over a thousand hours, <laughs> yeah, over a thousand years, very good, but over a thousand hours of uh, their um, time in Naropa in the yoga track. So our, our yoga program is the most intensive, inclusive in, in the country today, probably in the world today. And so they get a, a broad and deep immersion. Hmm. Uh, there's also a course on, on, on Kirtan and Raga called Divine Singing by my colleague uh, Chaitanya Kabir. And so by the time they go through the yoga program, not only have they been inspired by Buddhist meditation practice and the grounding in, in Buddhist theology to some extent, but they also receive this a beautiful immersion in all traditions of yoga. And through our entire journey, we also emphasize for them to get experiences in what we call bhakti yoga or the devotional aspect of yoga, opening your heart, uh, uh, karma yoga, or opening yourself to selfless service, jnana yoga, the continuous uh, wisdom seeking uh, and self-knowledge and learning the traditions of yoga. And we also come to raja yoga, uh, the meditative yoga, so the immersion that comes with following your breath to using more sophisticated uh, guided visualizations that get into some of the... Uh, uh, chakra work mm. so this would be kind of a broad overview and for me with my uh, t academic background um, from India being more in the sciences but yoga always having been a part of my world so I have a master's degree in chemistry from one of the top institutions of India called the in Indian Institute of Technology in Bombay which would be equivalent here to the top institutions of the Ivy League. And um, I'm probably the only one from my cohort group that made a switch after a couple of decades into, from chemistry into... Uh, yoga. Uh, into all spiritual traditions of India, yes, mm. including yoga. Because I am, my, my love is teaching. Whether... <laughs> Uh, whether I'm teaching chemistry, for which I got a, a teaching award at the 
Colorado State University in uh, Fort Collins. I also taught high school chemistry, physics, and mathematics. Wow. Trained uh, teachers for doing more inquiry-oriented science and mathematics uh, teaching. There's over 150 teachers teaching in the schools of Colorado today who mm. have been trained through me. And even there, I would bring in the cultural traditions, the spiritual traditions, and and through the extended studies programs of both Colorado State University in Fort Collins and through Naropa, I've been offering some um, courses in yoga studies, uh, sacred Sanskrit, the goddess traditions, Vedanta, for over uh, 25 years. Wow. So it's an ongoing <laughs> thing, and now travel is starting to become a bigger part of my work as well, and working with yoga festivals. Mm. So when Yoshi and Dana invited me, Last year for the Hanuman Festival, uh, really uh, inspired by my colleague Nataraja, who said, well, uh, Sri, you have to get involved with this. There, it happens a few blocks from Naropa, and they need to involve you. You need to engage with them. And that's how uh, my heart opened, opened to saying there's another way to also reach uh, more people and to transmit the spiritual essence of yoga beyond what I do in the classroom or what I do with yoga centers around the country who invite me. And so this has mm. been a beautiful journey. It's my second year of involvement. Mm. And now with their new uh, baby, the Hanuman Academy. We'll talk about that towards yeah. the end. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm happy to be involved in that yeah. too. You know, I definitely have a few things to comment on from sure, the last sure. few things. The first thing is, what could you say to our listeners who have been uh, very loyally and adamantly mm -hmm. seeking knowledge through the podcast, through all the people that my business partner, mm -hmm. Andrew Seely, and I interview? How can they, how can we continue to uh, integrate mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. sometimes lofty, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. lofty knowledge mm -hmm. into our lives mm -hmm. and, and actually take action, let it take form mm -hmm. as you have spent mm -hmm. so much time, mm -hmm. you know, taking all these teachings mm -hmm. and navigating them through the psyche mm -hmm. and, and actually this is the moment where I can mm -hmm. practice an mm -hmm. action mm -hmm. from something that one of your teachers or reflections taught you. How can our listeners It's a good point and integrate? I think I would, I, you know, if, if I were in the place of a, you know, of a Western seeker, either being introduced to yoga or wanting to know more about yoga, or already uh, being in the tradition with more than uh, a few teachers. I would strongly suggest we we start book groups online, mm. um, have a text, and dedicate, uh, say, six to ten hours uh, on a book. And, and the discussion through that, so then it gives people a, a structure to say, well, here's 10 pages I want to read by next week, or say two weeks, and then here's a pointer for discussion. And so we bring in, I'm, I'm big on integrating where people are with what I wish to transmit. Hmm. It should never be a one-way street. This is not simply, well, here's yoga, now you receive it and I give it. We are co-seekers on the path, and and so the... The path for um, an immersion in overall into the traditions of yoga, now I think there are thousands of seekers, tens of thousands, who are ready to take the deeper step. 
And it's already happening through various forums and, and the teachers who individually teach as they travel and, and hold workshops. Um, but I, I do see a, a greater seriousness that can come uh, by somebody being on, okay, this, this month I'm studying Hatha Yoga Pradipika with this teacher. Or, you know what, 25 Kashmir Shaivism contemplative practices in Shiva Shakti. <laughs> wow, I want to do that. And this is how I'm going to deepen my connection, uh, whether it's to the, the five elements of yoga or, or the three human temperaments, what we call the three gunas, and how to know, based on my own temperament, what practices and what path of yoga would serve me the best, and in what ways can I share that with others. So that's one way I'm going to suggest that um, perhaps even your podcast series could branch out to mm. Uh, with so many wonderful teachers that you have introduced, to invite each one of them to conduct a, a, a short, a short course or, or a, you know, or a module, and uh, but based on texts that we are interpreting in a Western way, mm. and that could be accompanied by by books or DVDs that they themselves uh, are part of that they would recommend and say, well, if you're going to study with this teacher. Here's a list of resources to use, and oh. then the uh, the podcast discussion will be for this group that is involved with this teacher for this module. Mm. You know, so that's one thing that comes to mind immediately. Mm. The other thing is to tell beginning people, you know, seek out the teachers that you begin to experience through this podcast, and whom are you drawn to, and um, look them up online and see what else they're doing and. Uh, email them and ask for their favorite reading list. Ask about uh, their favorite practices, and um, and start to explore within these major streams of yoga that we call bhakti, jnana, karma yoga, all underlying the meditative aspect. Meditational yoga is a fundamental aspect of all of these. These paths of yoga are outlined in the Bhagavad Gita or this amazing uh, yogic text, which for almost all Hindus of India is a sacred text, the dialogues uh, between Lord Krishna and his cousin Arjuna on the, on the battlefield, the battlefield which was both external in, in its historical time, but also internal for us, the battlefield between the ego and our sacred path mm. of yoga. And that's where Lord Krishna really delineates these paths of yoga that today are a fundamental matrix in which all of yoga can be seen through because they link to our human temperaments. And there may be a path we may wish to um, offer as our first path, the first one we should pick, and then have the other paths adjoining and going with them. So there is something that is so fundamental in yoga that adapts to our own temperaments, and there is no one size fits all. And yoga is flexible and malleable, always keeping the needs of the practitioner in mind, the seeker in mind, rather than saying, here's blanket instruction for everybody. Mm. Yoga is inclusive and adaptive, mm. flexible and individualized. Mm. This is... Can you speak to the three temperaments, the guna, and in addition, how that correlates with the internal battlefield that you just spoke to mm -hmm. of the ego and our soul's sacred path? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so the uh, the first path of yoga in the Gita that Lord Krishna exhorts his cousin Arjuna is get up and fight. You're a warrior. Uh, you don't just put down your weapons and say, I'm not going to fight. Your dharma is a is as a spiritual warrior. And as we take this metaphorically, our, our ability to bring action into the world and our ability to treat the action aspect of our being in the world as loving service also means we cannot be attached to the outcome of the action that we do or the work that we're engaged in. Uh, if I say something like, um, Oh, I'll do my very best in this next yoga class because I know uh, the teacher will, you know, be looking at me and expecting me to do more. Well, we've begun by already transferring our, our goal, our reward of this to an external source. Uh, our loving relationship with a spouse or a partner. I will love you if you will do all these things. So we approach life very conditionally um, most of the time, but the path of karma yoga is exhorting us to start looking at, do we have some automatic reward mechanisms that we are building in into our expectations? How can we make that conscious? When do I know I have a, a, a selfish outcome? I will let, do this internship in yoga because it's going to look good on my resume. So, uh, these would be the, the signs to look for. And if our bent of mind, our personality is more about, you know, I can't sit in six hours of theory class every day. Just get me to move, you know. Let me get out on and go do some charity work where I can help people. Let me go, you know, paint some walls and clean some streets. Well, there is the motive for recognizing the roots of karma yoga as our own path. And that links to the human temperament, the guna that is called the rajas guna. Hmm. And the rajas guna from the root of, of rajas is really um, that which is activated, hmm. that which is kinetic. Even our blood is called rakta, the same root, raja or raka, which is to activate, to stimulate, to energize. So this is all about our navel chakra and the fire energy of our being. And so those who are temperamentally then uh, activated by, I want to get involved in something because I get to do something, then for them the path of karma yoga is, is the one that would be most advisable. Uh, and through the lens of a yoga that might look like, kind of help start a yoga group for uh, for recovery in my community. Mm. Can I offer yoga at the homeless shelter? Can I offer yoga in the park? Um, can I just gather a group of three friends who'll, who'll come to my apartment and practice with me? So it can take on different forms, but this is the way we can be engaged through our temperament, the Rajaskuna. Now if we go to the... Um, the tamas guna, which is the, the, the most fundamental that link, is linked to the earth element mm. and the root chakra. In tamas, this is about stability. It's about inertia, being at rest. Also, becoming lazy, 
becoming a couch potato. Um, I may enjoy, you know, talking about yoga, but I don't want to get on the mat and do anything. Uh, or I may uh, want to do it, but oh, it's, I just don't feel like it. <laughs> so the, uh, in, in the tamas temperament, there is a lot of uh, stability and potency available, but the, uh, the mind has hab- become habituated into inertia and really having to be coaxed to do something. There is a natural turn for this temperament, tamas, to move towards devotion, towards love, towards the path that we call bhakti yoga, the yoga of uh, devotion, the yoga of love. And there's a loving temperament that is waiting to be channeled into something bigger than one's own self-centered emotions, emotions such as darkness, despair, depression, which are all part of the tamas guna, can be rechanneled. My Satguru Amma, when she was interviewed years ago by Katie K- uh, Kurik in uh, Good Morning Today, uh, when she was asked, what is the single issue you see in America? She said, loneliness and depression. Well, that is the tamas guna. Mm-hmm. And she said, if more and more people would could reach out outside of themselves, join others, and begin small projects to assist somebody else. So in the tamas guna, there is the pull into yoga to say, come out of that, offer your emotions to the guru of your choice, to the deity of your choice, to the cause of your choice, and align your heart energy with that, and the emotions will begin to get transformed. Then we move to the uh, the most subtle of the three gunas, the uh, sattva guna, and the sattva guna, which is linked to luminous essence, to uh, to to the most subtle aspects of any um, temperament. The sattva guna is aligned with the jnana yoga or the wisdom-seeking path of yoga, which within the larger uh, Hindu yoga matrix of traditions is seen as the path of Vedanta, the path of seeking knowledge about the nature of the self. And Sri Ramana Maharshi, whose uh, picture you see there, he was really the guide for us all through the uh, 1800s to to bring out the major aspect of Jnana Yoga, who am I? Seek into the nature of one's own being and do not settle for any temporary definition of who you are. So in the path of Jnana Yoga then, the temperament of Sattva within each one of us, which is, I want to know more. Well, tell me why you practice yoga. The way that we're having this interview, this is part of the play of Jnana Yoga. And each of these three paths of yoga, which are linked to uh, three basic human temperaments within the Bhagavad Gita text, underlying all of that is the most solid structure of all, the meditative path of yoga, Raja Yoga, Mm. Dhyana Yoga, Dhyana being the Sanskrit word for meditation. Just stopping to be mindful. I love the the Buddhist word mindful awareness that has now become a part of our 
contemporary lexicon and which at Naropa University in our path of contemplative education is always present in our interactions. How do I bring this present moment awareness to who I am and what is serving me, serving me and what is not? What is good for me and what is not? When, I, when do I know this relationship is not working and when it's not? Why do I struggle in this job trying to please somebody I, that doesn't have my highest good in mind? And hmm. when, when do I know I need to step out? And how do I do that? What kind of support do I seek to do that? These are the basic questions that can underlie a meditation path within the vaster tradition of yoga. And based on our temperaments, the three gunas again, there are, can be specific meditation practices that can align our gunas with linking us to a higher path because the overall goal of yoga is self-emancipation, self-liberation. What does that mean, really? And how is that going to look in my everyday life? Do I still get to chop wood? <laughs> and when I'm realized, do I still chop wood, make a fire? Yes. How we can continue to be fully engaged in life, because that is the path of yogi that is required today, to be fully engaged in the contemporary world, much as we are surrounded by by violence, by chaos, by political instability, by relationships and, and families breaking up. But within all of that, that wisdom seeker uh, within me, that loving devotee within me, mm. that social activist within me, that environmentally aware uh, being within me that continues to seek the highest good in all arenas of my life and bring in these principles of awareness and always asking what is for the highest good. And so liberation will be what we can bring when we are liberated from the clutches of ego, when we're liberated from the clutches of blame, when we're liberated from the clutches of dependence. And we're simply liberated from the need to have to hold expectations that may not be realistic, but we simply proceed onwards with no attachment to the outcomes of this seeking, of this living fully, of this offering oneself fully. So we become true spiritual activists where we act because we must. We, we act because, because the highest intention of our soul and we act without attachment to the outcomes of my action. Hmm. Do you believe that it is truly possible with great practice to to liberate ourselves from the tyranny of our own ego and negative thoughts? Absolutely. In this lifetime? Absolutely. Well, I don't know about this lifetime, because I think the whole aspect of trying to condition it in time is, again, uh, an issue. It's a limitation. We, we don't really know what it means to say, well, last lifetime, next lifetime. That is still in some sense, uh, a spiritual metaphor. Uh -huh. So all we can do is, this is the time we have. We, and we can uh, work for the highest good, but we still cannot hold the expectation of saying, within this lifetime, this is what I expect to happen. Hmm. All, mm -hmm. I, all we can do is, till my last breath, 
till I can be aware of who I am, uh, I will continue on this path. And we make a great vow to our own innermost being. We don't need to make this vow in front of a physical guru or as part of a, an organization that we need to join. But here and now, in front of the, the wisdom energy of life itself. Mm. And in the tradition of yoga, which honors the ancestral realm and the sacred realm of all teachers in succession. So the guru realm embraces all teachers, all traditions, all prophets, all saints, and all, teach and all teachers of all cultures and of all genders. It is really beyond any boundaries that we can imagine. And so there is this concept in yoga of the guru self and the guru self as the embodied divine witness within us, which in classical yoga and Patanjali Yoga Sutras, he speaks of as Ishvara, mm. the indwelling divine presence. And whose the human te temple that we inhabit is available to us, we can make more progress in this lifetime alone if we also co-create community that we can travel with, a community of seekers. The, um, the trend in the West towards more individualization as a whole, which came about with affluence and mobility, as opposed to the East where we still lead a very family and community-based life, in that transition to this more individualized way of living, there is the danger of seeing any form of spiritual practice as, oh, this is my practice and this is what I do. And often that is seen as something very private. Well, there is always that private aspect of our being, but how can we simultaneously live in spiritual community and therefore be cohorts for one another? so that our spiritual seeking and serving and learning and being and loving can be held in community so we can all progress quicker. There is the quickening of consciousness that comes when consciousness can multiply because we are really only the one consciousness. And the whole quantum of physics cosmology that reminds us that we are the one non-local consciousness where any perturbation in this field of consciousness will have an impact on the whole field. This is what we can capitalize on in contemporary yoga, in really seeking community, building community, and working within community while we also follow our individual path and nurture the gunas within us and seek the balance among the gunas mm and find a perspective that others can hold while I also hold my own. And so I see it, a real tenacity and strength that can come uh, in the contemporary world where not only can we continue to be part of physical community, but because of the availability of online presence, we are part of online global spiritual communities or part of your podcast community. Uh, where we can then create a whole uh, stream of consciousness that can come from sharing, journal keeping, uh, encouraging one another with tips for how yoga can help in different challenges and sharing our own uh, path. 
there's something very uh, wonderful when we can share who we are uh, from our own perspective with others on the path of yoga. Mm. So much more to say on this beautiful topic. Mm. Uh, what do you think is one of the greatest, what tools would you offer to our listeners to continue to share the embodied experience of yoga where maybe the like razor edge to be mindful of is to not uh, indulging in the attachment to wanting the ego to be fed? Does that make sense? Yes. Well, we don't start off by saying I'm going to indulge in the attachment for my ego to be fed. The the whole trap over there is that it's unconscious or subconscious. Mm. We never start off by uh, wanting that. In, in fact, then the ego wants us to want it. So it's uh, that's where the tamas and the rajas gunas are active and, and look for every way that the ego can be gratified, whether I wish to offer a practice to somebody or I wish to offer some guidance or I wish to start a project that somebody else can come and join. Come to others with open heart and say, if this seems like something you could be part of, I invite you to join me in a, in a weekly sitting at, at my home. Or when we meet for coffee next week, can we also introduce five minutes of silence just before and after our conversation? Mm. You can just start with small things like that. Mm. Uh, when we go meet a friend at a restaurant for to share a meal, when the food arrives, then just to put our hands uh, consciously near the plates, knowing that our energetic presence and the flow of prana is now activated and we offer gratitude for the food. Mm. So these are things that starting with one and two people that we know, we can begin to consciously mm. bring in yoga components into everyday life. And for people who would like to do bigger things, then yes, yeah, start projects. You know, have a, like I said before, have a, have a yoga in the park all, all through summer. Turn a picnic into a mindful uh, chanting and, and a 10-minute yoga practice before people run off and say, well, you know, I'm just going to go for a <laughs> hike. See you later for the yoga. No, let's make the hike a part of yoga. Can we, while we're walking, can we also watch our breath? Mm. Uh, while we're walking, can we do 100 ohms? So these are some simple ways mm. that we can actively begin the path of yoga. And... And, and buy a book that you don't have. Uh, buy it used. I would say get the book on the Bhagavad Gita by Eknath Ishwaran, E-A-S-W-A-R-A-N. He was a magnificent uh, a teacher from the 60s uh, through the 80s. Mm. Um, he was a Rhodes Scholar in English literature who came from India and then became established as a really a, a master teacher of, uh, of Vedanta and uh, other yoga traditions. And so we use his book on the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita at Naropa. They're very accessible, beautiful dialogues. Uh, they're available widely on Amazon hmm. to order your own copy. Keep it by your bedside. Begin with something like, I'll read uh, two pages a day. Hmm. and uh, Or get the uh, uh, yoga sutras 
uh, more from a, a contemporary perspective, uh, written um, originally by Patanjali, of course. It was anywhere from the second century BC to about the fourth century of the Common Era. That's where his uh, uh, date could be established, uh, but always in question. But Patanjali has been reinterpreted for the modern times, and there are uh, wonderful versions of the Yoga Sutras mm. uh, that are available in the West. So get a copy if you don't already have one, and if you have a copy, then just start opening a page at random, you know, one page a day. So this is how the wisdom-seeking component within us could be cultivated. Mm. And I think those are some uh, good examples to start with. Beautiful. Thank you for those beautiful nuggets of how we can dive deeper into our own self-inquiry. Um, we'll beginning to conclude. Let's uh, close with the Hanuman Academy and what your role in the Academy is and what the intention is and who else um, is to opportunity to study with. Mm. I don't have the list of the That's teachers okay. with I, me. I'll share the list yeah, after right. you're done talking. Yeah, I know that. Uh, uh, well, in, in uh, several discussions I had with uh, Yoshi and Dana over the uh, their vision of uh, Hanuman Academy and giving my input to it, um, I think we all came to a cooperative agreement that a basic framework could be what everybody's familiar with, the five physical elements of the universe, earth, water, fire, air, and ether, or, or space, the modern term being space, for what the Greeks called the ether. So these fundamental constituents, whether it's in the earth's crust, or in the universe, or within our own bodies, then to become both physical and metaphorical frameworks for us to structure um, our offerings in an online yoga education um, series of modules, which I think the Hanuman Academy will be a very exciting adventure. It has already begun. Mm. And and my role uh, with this is to guide the, the, uh, the elements are being offered in the order of gross to subtle from root chakra to the higher chakras. So... Uh, my role is for the ether element or space of the throat chakra. And uh, my teaching of one month will happen in the month of October. Sorry, the Hanuman Academy begins in October. My one month will happen in February of next year. But outlines uh, for all of the five modules have been developed. There are other teachers uh, such as uh, Sienna Sherman, Janet Stone, um, Saul David Ray, Saul David Ray, and Juan uh, Juan Pablo. Yes, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and I've met a few of them, and I'm really looking forward to uh, uh, meeting the others and getting to know more about. Uh, this is a great example of wisdom uh, seeking yoga, where as practitioners and as teachers, we are all uh, connected through the internet. And none of us are sitting physically and planning this, and uh, yet it will uh, all engage itself in this common web of the five elements and the goals and outcomes, which is to serve both uh, beginning level participants, those who are interested in yoga, have come to some 
classes with their favorite teachers or perhaps attended a Hanuman festival or any other yoga festival or have experienced any one of us as teachers because uh, their uh, Hanuman Academy is being offered to uh, the students we all have uh, and the larger population of the Hanuman festival over the last few years. So I think it's a very exciting online offering that is uh, appealing to uh, two different populations, not only uh, people interested in yoga at a beginning level, immersion level, but also teachers in their own right who have, who continue to chisel and fine tune who they are within the yoga lineage, within the yoga tradition, and to inform their own uh, spiritual practice in ways uh, that are rich and beneficial. And so uh, mm. for me personally, um, because I had to work with the element of space in a very conscious way growing up in India in a crowded household where mm. one space has to serve multiple uses, mm. whether it's for sleeping, rolling up the mattresses, then doing your yoga, then rolling up your thin bamboo mats and setting mm. out short desks uh, with which you sit cross-legged and, and, and you work. And then stacking those desks and now the hall is available again for everybody else's use. Wow. The common space becomes personal space, becomes healing space, becomes sacred space, becomes sleeping space. So there's this, the physical aspect of using space in, in a very uh, efficient and multitasking way, mm. which is also part of yoga and, and a part of the what we call the yamas and niyamas or mm. the essential ways of conducting ourselves towards our own environment, ourselves, and to others. So keeping our physical space clean and accessible as a sacred container for the practice of yoga is one of the fundamental tenets. Going deeper into using the element of ether or space as a metaphor for the space of awareness within us. Mm. Awareness that is either outward-directed or inner-directed. Awareness that benefits from having anchors and supports as physical space does. Physical space that serves us inside a dwelling has a different purpose than the physical space outside where we can go run free. At the same time, one can become disoriented if physical space does not have clear anchors and clear structure. And it's the same with the space of awareness. Awareness in the practices of yoga is more structured, given directionality, given focus, given objects of meditation, whether they be mantra uh, or it, or they be um, the sacred geometry, the yantras of the various deities, or they be the properties of the elements themselves, or they be the vast space of our own mind. So working with the inner and outer structures of space mm. in a contemplative way is then part of the practice of yoga. So I'll be sharing wow. uh, multiple activities that are drawn from the Kashmir Shaivism tradition, from Patanjali Yoga Sutras, from so the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, yes, from wow. uh, Tantric Yoga of the chakras, the deities. Mm. Uh, who are the deities who rule the throat chakra? What are the... What are the mantras of the 16 petals of the uh, throat chakra? What does the throat chakra symbolize? 
So we will be going into many aspects of all this. And for people who want to know more about me, I guide them to my very skeletal website. That's called shaktiinstitute.com. Be sure to link that. Okay, S-H-A-K-T-I, shaktiinstitute.com. And uh, the type of um, tantric yoga meditation I teach nationwide and offer training in is called Yoga Nidra. Mm. Uh, And it's a Shiva Shakti tantric yoga meditation. So there are uh, one or two sample practices. There's an outline about it. And I will be drawing on components uh, from that tradition also in my Hanuman Academy module. And I'm so delighted, Alec, Mm. that we, uh, you found me right here (laughs) in Boulder and now... And I look forward to sharing more with your audience when uh, another opportunity yeah, comes. Yeah, Sri Dri, we could mm. have multiple episodes on so many topics. So, oh my goodness. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. So much. A true mm. blessing and a true honor mm. to sit across and to mm. listen and to be able to have the privilege and the opportunity to share your uh, embodied wisdom in your life with all of our listeners as they carry on and they share it with their beloved. So may we close we'll with the Shanti Mantra? Oh, yes, please. Thank please. you. So praying for the well-being of all beings in all realms of consciousness. Om Loka Samasta Sukhino Bhavantu Loka Samasta Sukhino Bhavantu Loka Samasta Sukhino Bhavantu Om Shanti 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 Namaste Namaste Thank you, Yoga Revealed Podcast listeners. This is Alec Vishal Rubin here to extend a heartfelt thank you for being a part of this online community of wisdom seekers. If you're interested to learn more about the depth and integration of yoga with Sri Devi Bringi, a great teacher in her trade, not only can you attend yoga study classes with her in Boulder, Colorado at Naropa University, but you can also study with her online in the upcoming Hanuman Academy program. Here's what the founders of Hanuman Festival have to say about it. Hi, Yoshi here, founder of Hanuman Festival. I'm Dana Saray, creative director for Hanuman. Are you craving a deep dive into the practice of yoga? We are super excited to introduce you to Hanuman Academy, the online platform for advancing and deepening your yoga education. Our premier course, The Five Elements of Yoga, is a six-month advanced immersion. Five master teachers will share their profound wisdom of the deeper philosophy and practice of yoga. Journey into Earth with Saul David Ray. Water with Sianna Sherman. Fire with Juan Pablo Barahona. Air with Janet Stone. And Ether with Sri Debbie Bringy. This is a special and rare confluence of master teachers who each embody the wisdom of their element. We hope you join us for this transformational journey. An opportunity to study with five master teachers and it's a take-it-as-you-go training. Wow. We hope you continue to dive deep into the practice of yoga through this podcast series, as well as through your own personal introspection. With great love and respect, we bow to you. Namaste, my friends.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.